asterisk. I can't say that word. Asterisk. Asterisk. Conversation. Uh, should we just have the whole thing, just me trying to say that word? Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is December 29th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. How are you? Uh, Merry Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? Oh, it was fantastic. And <laughs> definitely, uh, I'm looking back on it in retrospect since today is December 29th. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and from Los Angeles is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Sarah. And, and how was your Christmas? It was excellent. It was amazing. Best Christmas, Christmas. Ever. Best. It truly, truly was the greatest Christmas of all time. <laughs> all right. So it may be obvious from this, but it is not actually December what? 29th. <laughs> what are you talking about? Wait a minute. Look at a calendar, Sarah. <laughs> Wait, what are you uh, talking about? I'm sorry to break this to you, but it's actually two days before Christmas. We are recording this show a little bit early so that we can, you know, spend some time not in front of our computers and microphones. Although, I don't know. I'm going to be... We'll in, probably still be yeah, in front of I, those. I feel like I'm still going to be Zoom calling during during Christmas. I don't know about you guys. Um, is that what this podcast has been for the past uh, nine months? It's just been one Zoom call. Yeah. No, one never-ending Zoom call. We just talk about sports every once in a while and then do some other things, but mostly talk about sports. Um, so today's show is going to be a little different. We're recording it early. <laughs> And we are hoping that um, you also enjoy some time off and, and obviously spend your time by listening to us talk about sports. The first thing we want to do, though, is uh, catch up on our survivor pool picks. So we don't know yet who won in week 16, but we're going to pick anyway for week 17 because <laughs> that is how this works over the holidays. You um, and I could be tied right now, Sarah. No, I'm going to assume that you guys both lost and my pick won. I don't remember who my pick was oh the chiefs oh yeah the chiefs okay that's fine this definitely will not come back to haunt me yeah 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 um so the order this week will be jeff neil sarah jeff who are you taking pretty easy uh i'm gonna go with the colts i was pleased to learn i haven't taken the colts but biggest favor of the week jags are clearly tanking yeah, no if, brainer. If the no Jags, brainer. Although if the Jags come was, back and win, just, this was the Jags one one win for the record. Right back. In but maybe that one. even helps me. Like, are they really going to lose? Or is Indy really going to lose to this team twice? Be the only team to lose to this team and do it twice? Maybe. Who knows? Who yeah, knows? maybe Jacksonville has their number. That would I there. I know a lot of Jags fans who so would be really upset, but I know some Jets fans who would be happy. So. Uh, Neil, how about you? Well, I know that there's a uh, very large chance that the Chiefs will not be playing their starters, but I haven't taken them yet uh, in the entire season, and they're playing the Chargers. They're at home. You know, Andy Reid plus the Chiefs' backups could probably beat the Chargers at Arrowhead, so I'm going to take the Chiefs. Why not? Andy the other Reed. alternatives are not, like, great. Right. Yeah. Andy Reid playing quarterback. Um, <laughs> <laughs> From his BYU days. Yeah. Um, well, I am going to take the Ravens as far as I know right now, <laughs> looking into the future. They still have something to play for. You know, they're in the playoff hunt. They're playing the Bengals, who, you know, should be a team that's easy to beat. They weren't when I picked against them last time. So I guess this means the Ravens are going to lose and not go to the playoffs. Sorry, everybody. Um, but I'm taking them anyway. Seems like a seems like a good pick. Okay, so the show is going to be a little bit different. We did want to uh, revive something we've done before that we really enjoyed when we did it the last time. Today's show is going to be entirely made up of rabbit holes. All rabbit hole show. Love it. It's always my favorite thing that we do. So Jeff, Neil, and I have each brought something that's taken us down a rabbit hole of data and like a nerdy podcast secret Santa, we're going to swap them with each other. We're going to invert our introduction order for this. Jeff will be up first, then Neil will go, and then I will close us out. And we will be back to talk about the latest and hottest takes of 2021 next week. Uh, I'm glad you clarified that we're inverting the introduction order. You know, I thought you'd enjoy that. Um, let let you let you talk first. Just, Jeff just, is usually just talk last, forever. but oh he's going to go first. <laughs> 
Any mention of the introduction order just gets Jeff wound up, I've, I've found. I it's know. It's a sore spot. It's a sore spot. All right. So <laughs> let's get this started. I won't say this every time, but just to start us off. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, and this week we're going to do all of them. The hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Jeff, what do you have for us? Okay, so if you've uh, been listening to this space for the last, oh, I don't know, week, month, year, you'll know that uh, uh, last week, and the week before, you'll know that I'm a uh, I'm a Jets fan, and uh, I'm also a college football fan. And this whole saga that's been going on with the Jets tanking and Trevor Lawrence is it, it's been hard. It's caused me to do a lot of soul searching. Um, most recently, I'm pondering such things as: Did the Jets destroy their future? Will things remain this bleak forever? And has this one win? We'll say one win. Who knows what they'll do Sunday? Um, one win over the Rams uh, just sent us into deeper depths of football hell, most likely. And and it sort of got me thinking: Is it why are we sure? Are we sure? You know, I I, I do say that about Lawrence. You know what? It is true. Number one overall QB picks tend to be solid bets. Cam Newton, solid. Maybe not so much anymore. Kyle Murray. Baker, they look good. There's obviously flops in there, too. Jamarcus Russell, Tim Couch, even Jameis is now, you know, he was productive for a few years, but he's a backup on a rival team. Um, of, of course, you know, Lawrence is different. They say he's on a different strata, mostly compare him to absolute surefire, number one overall franchise changers, Peyton Manning, John Elway, most recently Andrew Luck. But even as great as those guys are and you know, the first two won a Super Bowl for their teams. The, the Colts didn't win a Super Bowl with Andrew Luck, even though he, he did live up to the hype. And now he's retired. And, you know, that wasn't Andrew Luck's fault. It's a long way of saying if the Jets were to get Lawrence, they could easily and let's face it, probably would mess it up. Um, you know, the eye test is important. You know, when you're watching these college guys, um, I remember watching Russell Wilson in college and thinking he was going to be amazing. I remember watching Colin Kaepernick in a bowl game and thinking this guy is special. I'll, I also remember watching Geno Smith at West Virginia and thinking this guy is special. Um, you know, I'll share my most famous bad take, which was, you know, as you know, I'm I went to Michigan. I say that all the time. Um I talk about that all the time. I don't talk about 1999 when Michigan was in the middle of a heated quarterback battle and I desperately wanted Lloyd Carr to start Drew Henson at quarterback over the other guy. Um, <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> That's how who he was, should be known, frankly. Yeah, who was yeah, who was Tom Brady. So the point is, I question all our collective ability to judge college quarterbacks, and I wanted to put that to a test. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many factors involved, and a lot of our opinions... I think, are based on what we're told. You know, it's what we read. We form these passionate draft day opinions based on other mock drafts, which are just people writing maybe what they've heard from scouts and sort of telling you where things are supposed to be. And anytime anyone deviates from that, it tends to not go so well, including the people who are making the actual decisions, the media who's reporting on them, and the fans who are recycling on them. So I, I inspired me to do this sort of retroactive hot takedown and go back and look at the last four drafts and the last 13 quarterbacks taken in the first round. And then I pulled up as many draft grades as I could find at the time to see how right people were as a little exercise. Um, I'll note as, you know, a former journalist, this is a terrible thing to do to go back and, and pull someone and then to sort of cherry pick a bad take and mock them. Um, and so for the sake of embarrassment, I'm not going to say the names of writers and the outlets, particularly the ones that had some bad things to say that have, have not aged well. Um, and I'm also the first to admit that all my predictions are terrible and embarrassing. And anyone could pull a clip from the last couple of years of me talking on this show and, and, and humiliate me. And I'll fully admit that. Um, just a note for methodology. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure it's Nate Silver approved. But I don't 
I'm no longer on staff at 538, so I <laughs> I don't care. Um, nice. Sorry. I will note also when looking at draft grades at the time, a lot of it is based on where they were taken to. So obviously some of it has to do with value and whether a player was taken too early or too late. You'll see that come up. So let's go back and look at, uh, let's look at last year. Joe Burrow, one overall. Average grade, an A, 94.5. Everyone loved the Joe Burrow pick. That's pretty obvious. He was a surefire number one. Tua, also great grades, got a 92. Averaged an A minus. Justin Herbert, six overall. Average grade C plus. He got a B minus, a B, a C, a D minus, and a B. Let's go back one more year. Kyle Murray. He's a rare first overall pick that got kind of mixed reviews. He averaged a B. Um, Daniel Jones, taken at six spot, was a derided pick. It was the lowest. Oh, I think we ripped that pick. I ripped it to shreds. And I really, you know, a lot of this was based on where the Giants took him. It averaged a 69. He averaged a D plus. I, I don't need to read. Uh, you could pull me talking about this last no, year. I, and, I actually, know, I think I have a text from you laughing at that. Pick. Yeah. And, and the truth be told, Daniel Jones has actually been pretty good. Okay. So even that's kind of wrong. Dwayne Haskins was a pick, though, that was lauded. Uh, averaged an A minus. Here's a quote. Haskins has everything, everything in all caps, you want in a franchise quarterback. This is the steal of the draft so far. Uh, he's already lost his job. Uh, then we go back to the year prior. This is the big year for drafts. You have Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Lamar Jackson. We all know who ended up the best there. Um, but the grades were uh, both good and bad. Uh, Baker Mayfield, the pick, again, for our number one overall was kind of low. It averaged a B, 83. Sam Darnold you know, who was the Jets savior before he wasn't. And even I was one who who thought he was for a while was was a, a pretty lauded pick. It was 87.2, a B plus grade. And, uh, you know, my favorite quote was Darnold is the luxury sedan of quarterback prospects. What does that even mean? I don't know <laughs> yeah, what yeah, it does that mean. <laughs> oh. Then you get the Josh Allen pick. And this got some really got an A plus by uh, one outlet, CBS. Kudos to them. It got as low as a D plus, averaging a B. And and the the comments were all over the map. You know, here's one. The Allen. The thing is, I can't get on board giving up everything to select a project quarterback that arguably has the lowest floor of any of the first round quarterbacks. Uh, the one they really got wrong, though, uh, was Josh Rosen, because this pick got the highest grade in the class, averaged a 94.5, got an A. Should be noted, Lamar Jackson also got very good reviews, but a lot of that was because Baltimore took him at 32. Um, so it was seen as a good value pick. That also averaged about an A minus, a 93.5, including getting as high as an A plus. But Rosen uh, was consensus considered a brilliant pick, especially where Arizona got him. Here's a quote. Rosen, they're making a smart move to go up and get the guy who might be the most NFL-ready passer. If it weren't for the personality and injury concerns, Rosen would have gone much earlier. Props to the Cardinals for landing their guy. Another one. Josh Rosen is the best quarterback in this draft. And it's all kind of building up to 2017, which is the year I really wanted to explore, because that is the year Mitch Trubisky went two overall to the Bears. Um, and then a quarterback by the name of Pat Trick Mahomes II out of Texas Tech uh, went 10 overall. And Deshaun Watson went 12 overall. The Mitch Trubisky pick was not loved. It it got horrible grades. And generally, that was because the the Bears traded up and it was two overall and it averaged a 71.5, giving it a C minus grade. Uh, the lowest in that class, but not by much. I'll get to that. Uh, just one thing on, uh, here, I'll read one quote on Trubisky. The Bears followed up with a horrendous trade with, with a huge reach. Trubisky may well develop into a solid starter one day. He's not a franchise-changing player, though. And that's what you expect from a second overall pick. The Bears passed on a lot of defensive talent to take him, too. I think that's pretty accurate. I'll, I'll give that guy kudos. 
And then we get to Mahomes. Let me read Mahomes' grades. C minus, C, D, B plus, B minus. Averaging a C. Calling Mahomes a project is a major understatement. He's nowhere near ready to play in the NFL. And honestly, he may never be. Between his inconsistent accuracy due to poor mechanics, his tendency to bail from clean pockets, and his lack of field vision, he's going to leave as many big plays on the field as he creates. This was a risky pick. And then this one. I'll leave you with this one, which is my favorite. Make no mistake about it, if Mahomes were forced to start a full season as a rookie, he would not only throw 25 interceptions, but he would also endure 50 sacks with his Michael Vick stuck-in-second-gear approach to pocket discipline. And then we get to Deshaun Watson, who got a little bit greater, better grades. He, he A lot of this was because, um, you know, he, he was coming off a national championship. He's proven winner, but not amazing grades. Uh, C+, plus, B+, plus, A. A minus B plus averaging a solid B plus. There's one notable quote. I'm not so sure Watson will ever develop into a top quarterback, but he'll be an improvement on what they've had in Houston in the last few years. That's not saying a whole lot. Wow. So basically that is he's better than Matt Schaub. Yeah, I think it might have even been Osweiler at that point. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, it's a it's a um it's something I think I did as a uh, an exercise just to, as me as a fan, to remember that, you know, if the Jets do end up with Justin Fields or, you know, Zach Wilson, who, who looked pretty good last night in that random bowl game I was watching, we don't really know. And while Trevor Lawrence feels like the sure thing, we don't really know there. Um, and I guess that's because most people like me really don't know a lot about football. <laughs> The, the Mahomes, the Mahomes stuff is so interesting. Um, and, you know, I think we sort of forgot about that because he did spend a year on the bench. Um, you know, they didn't force him into action right away. I mean, he had a great situation there where he could develop a little bit more, learn the offense a little bit more. And then he had such great weapons around him. Yeah. And a, and a couple of, a couple of these, um, Write-ups, I, I, I do give them credit. They said things along the lines of, if anyone's going to make this work, it's Andy Reid. And I think that's to a certain extent true. And I, I think, you know, that's also true with with a guy coming in in the system. You know, you, you, we talk about Darnold, but he really was put in a position to fail. And if you were to sort of do a, you know, vice versa, like father, like son, Freaky Friday body switch with Mahomes, and Darnold and Darnold goes to read in the Chiefs and, and Mahomes goes to this awful situation in New York. I, I you know, we don't know. <laughs> Doesn't that lay bare the the fallacy of tanking anyway, though? Because does, like you yeah. are putting a guy who has talent on paper in a bad situation inherently when you when you tank to take them first overall. So it's like this endless cycle of setting up guys to fail and then just doing it all over again a few years later. Yeah. Did you did you guys see that Josh Rosen just um just signed, he signed with, with the, Niners. the Niners? Yeah. And I, I wonder if I mean that seems like a we might I, I don't think Josh Rosen is done. Like I think he'll I think he'll there'll be a, a Josh Rosen resurgence at some point. He was I mean, the Cardinals, that was a bad situation. They were very bad. He was very bad. Um, yeah, he was real bad. Right. But I don't, I don't, that was, you know, <laughs> that was yeah, many, that no, was I, coaches ago. I mean, that was a whole lifetime brought, ago, Yeah, right? they brought in Kingsbury and, and Kingsbury with the system he wanted, you know, Murray was a better fit. So it makes sense why they did the quick switch. And I, and I do think NFL teams in general, if they don't like the way it's going, I don't think they should be shy about just, taking another quarterback because I, I think trying to make a quarterback work uh, just because you invested a lot of draft capital um, isn't always the best approach. And and we sort of see that in Chicago with, you know, with the Bears pick, they invested a huge amount of draft capital, taking them to overall. And and while they they kind of pulled the plug on him this year, it wasn't much better with Foles. And now, now he's back in there. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I do think you you have to make these snap decisions because it, if you can get another quarterback, I think ultimately rebooting, you know, while it surely didn't work in Cleveland for a long time when they kept doing it over and over. I think ultimately that's going to be the better approach. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we talk about the, like the coach 
quarterback relationship in a positive way, like with Brady and Belichick. I think it there's it exists in that negative space too. Like, you know, is is the Bears situation, is it Trubisky's fault? Is it Nagy's fault? Like if Nagy lets go of Trubisky and says, All right, this was a mistake, he's both admitting his mistake and he's admitting that maybe he's not the brilliant coach and it, it the, maybe some of this was his fault that opens that door to that too I think it's the whole thing is really interesting I like that this is like a this is kind of a way for Jets fans to to soothe the ache of not getting the quarterback that everyone says is the surefire topic maybe yeah, he won't be Mitch Trubisky but I, but I will <laughs> say that like Lawrence in many ways doesn't really apply here because I don't think in this in this sample size we've had a prospect like him i think we would have to go back to luck um maybe burrow was the closest thing but not at the same level i don't think because remember burrow kind of emerged later whereas as this draft has always been kind of circled as you know since he was practically in high school as as when lawrence would would come out all right well that was that was very fun um i appreciate that rabbit hole we'll be back in a moment with neil's rabbit hole on the year that was 2020 Okay, Neil, take it away with your rabbit hole of the week. Yeah, okay, of the year. Of the year. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, so, you know, flashback to the summer. We had no sports. It was a dark time for all of us, but we were looking forward to the restarts after the pauses caused by the coronavirus, and there was a lot of haggling between the union and the leagues and this that and the other and talks of bubbles and how the logistics of how it was even going to work but once those got settled we kind of turned our attention to like what things would be like how the games would play out and and how random it would be there were a lot of questions about whether we would need to put an asterisk on the champions of any of the sports that restarted because of this sense that, you know, you have the virus, that's obviously a big factor, could have people be missing from games, uh, important games, potentially. Uh, You also had no fans in ballparks and stadiums, so you don't get the home advantage that you usually do. In the sports that were in the playoffs, that can be a huge factor, especially in basketball, that is part of why the top teams, at least in theory, is part of why the top teams win so much in those sports. Instead, you've got cardboard fans and fake crowd noise and all of that. So there were a lot of questions about the legitimacy of the um, the the results of these leagues that restarted and whether we were really going to have a true champion. And what I find amazing about 2020 is in retrospect, none of that really materialized. Not only did the favorites do well, they actually did great. This was probably the most dominant season for preseason favored teams or top teams in recent memory. And I think when the dust settles on 2020, we'll kind of look back and instead of putting an asterisk on all the champions and kind of questioning, we'll be like, how uh, how did all of the top, like all of the top teams win practically? Uh, so let's just run down who won to kind of give a refresher and talk about where they were. So in the NHL, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. They were the preseason favorites, according to Vegas, before the season started. In the WNBA, the Seattle Storm won the championship. They were the co-favorites going into the season. In the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers won. They were number two in the odds in preseason, but really only like slightly lower than the LA Clippers. I think it was uh, fair to call that almost a de facto co-favorite situation going into the season. In Major League Baseball, you had the Los Angeles Dodgers win the World Series. They were also, by the slimmest of margin, number two going into the season with the New York Yankees. I think you could call that a co-favorite situation as well. Uh, College football and the NFL are not complete yet, but the top three teams in college football from preseason, that's Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, according to ESPN simulations, those three have a combined 95% chance of winning the national championship. So almost certainly at worst, you will get the number three ranked team going into the season, if not number one or number two. And then in the NFL, The preseason favorite Kansas City Chiefs, the defending champions, they have the best record in football, and right now we consider them easily the most likely team to win the Super Bowl in our model, with odds about twice as good as any other team. That's a crazy good season for the top teams, Uh, and to kind of compare this with other seasons from the past, 
I sort of turned those rankings in the preseason odds into percentiles to account for changing league sizes and structures. I cut down the college football field to around about 35 teams to make it uh, similar to the uh, the other pro leagues because let's be honest, nobody outside of the top 35 in preseason were ever going to have a chance to win in college football. Uh, and so I looked at those percentiles and I averaged them across all the sports that we had that I just talked about and compared that to previous years. Now the previous season that had been chalkiest, I guess, in terms of the champions was in 2000. That was when the number one ranked Yankees won the World Series. The number two ranked Lakers uh, won the NBA championship. Jeff, your New Jersey Devils, they were number three in the NHL going into the season. They won the Stanley Cup. Uh, But even then, the, the Baltimore Ravens were only 11th going into the season before winning the Super Bowl, uh, which was far from uh, the rankings of the worst team to kind of putatively win uh, that we're looking at in 2020, which would be like the third best team or something like that. Maybe we'll get some upsets in the NFL playoffs. Uh, But as it is now, it it is looking like no team that was not ranked among the top three in its sport will uh, not win the championship. So, So what I'm saying is that not only was 2020 not really a fluky season, it was the not flukiest, the chalkiest season of any season that I looked at across pro sports in the last uh, two decades. Uh, And I think that that is a really huge surprise. Now, there's some factors in there that maybe make it a little less surprising, one of which is this just seems to be a trend in general across the leagues that I looked at, where since the mid-2000s, And especially since the mid-2010s, we're seeing this acceleration of more favored teams winning more often. And as we talked about in last week's show, you know, the the college football, instead of the pandemic introducing randomness, I feel like it introduced chalkiness to uh, the college football playoff and caused the gave the committee cover to kind of default back to these old familiar faces that it is used to putting into the field and not giving a chance to outside teams. So there's some mitigating factors in that. But if you look at the other side of the equation, all of the other champions that won this year really had to prove themselves as much or more than they would in a normal season. Yes, the regular seasons were cut short, but these teams, you know, in, the, in hockey and the NBA, they'd already played most of the regular season anyway. And in baseball, If you're talking about the Dodgers playing a 60 game regular season, we had said this going into the season, the best team doesn't always even make the playoffs or, or, you know, certainly doesn't um, find themselves advancing deep in a, in a short uh, season, a small sample like that. Uh, And like I said earlier, none of those teams had the benefit of home advantage in the bubbles, in particular in the postseason. We see this as a huge advantage in basketball. And uh, the baseball season was the shortest regular season since 1877. And also the longest World Series path of any champion because the Dodgers had to play an extra round. They set a new record by winning four series en route to the championship uh, for the record on that There were other teams that won four rounds, but they were not all series because uh, they were playing wildcard games. Uh, Shout out to the 2014 Giants and 2019 Nationals, though. So, you know, I I think the big takeaway on all of this is that similar to your quarterback prediction uh, research, Jeff, is like, you know, all of the 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 cognoscenti of sports media were sort of going into this unprecedented summer and sort of making predictions about how it would be harder for favorites and almost in some cases preemptively sort of trying to kind of make the case of like well if the bucks win the nba title i remember this being a thing it will have been one of the hardest titles to win not one of the easiest you know trying to almost like make like uh, not excuses but sort of try to kind of lend legitimacy uh and maybe protesting a little too much uh in that regard almost preemptively but as it turned out, we didn't need this. Like, if you looked at the list of teams that won this year, you wouldn't have known there was a pandemic. You would have just thought, man, the favorites really had a great year this year. And I don't know whether we take away that this, and this is a question for you guys, is it a good thing? What does it mean? I don't know the answer to any of that, but I do know that none of the teams that, that won their titles in their respective leagues this year required an asterisk. And that is a very weird thing to say that it was business as usual in a year in which it was hardly business as usual. Yeah, it's just amazing that in every sport. In- yeah. 
I don't know. Is it a good, like, I, I kind of think that one of the, I mean, I was worried that there wouldn't be, well, what I was really worried about was that what my team would win, which I shouldn't have been worried about because that wasn't going to happen, but that my team would win and that people would like not want to count it because it was a weird year. But I was sort of hoping for a little bit of chaos. I mean, it would have been fun to see some not great team, like, you know, slide on in there. But I don't know. I mean, and I mean, there were upsets along the way. I mean, you know, the the Lakers had to beat the Heat, which was not a team that anybody really thought would make it that far, except our predictive Raptor, which we (laughs) talked about last episode. Uh, Less said about that, the better. Uh, And then the Dodgers, they faced the Tampa Bay Rays. That was a team that maybe was not on a lot of people's radar. I think the Yankees. Well, people would have been much less surprised to see the Yankees in the in the World Series against the Dodgers than the Rays. It was kind of shocking when the Rays um, beat them. So there were some, you know, checkpoints along the way. The Dallas Stars in hockey. That was not a team that that people expected to face the Lightning. And they gave the Lightning a little bit of a scare early in that series. So we shouldn't say that it was a fait accompli that these teams were always going to win. But it, I do think that w- when people look back on the history books, they're going to look at the big boldface names, you know, who won the title. Yeah. They're not going to really think that much or that hard about how their path right. was we, to get there. Right. We'll, we'll have forgotten that the Dodgers almost lost to the Braves, right? We could have had a right. Braves Yeah, they had to raise. come back from down 3-1. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but I, I do remember when the Marlins beat the Cubs, there was some like panic, like "Oh no, what if the Marlins <laughs> win the t- uh, no. World Series?" The Marlins are—they're doing, doing it again. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think to answer your question, Neil, ultimately, I, I think asterisks. Those conversations are the worst conversations in sports, and I would have hated to have uh, an upset team, you know, a Cinderella team win, and then have a bunch of people be like, oh, "It's the pandemic here. It's yeah. no fans," you know that that. That's not a conversation or I don't wish that upon anyone. <laughs> Especially us. Yeah, no, absolutely. I Although if the Mets would have won the World Series, I would have taken it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I know. That's how I felt about the Twins, too. And then the Twins did Twins things and it was fine. But Neil. And the Mets did Mets things. Yeah. Neil, did you feel like better, safer in your chalk world with how everything turned out you're like oh "Oh." it was it was a source of comfort comfort in this uncertain in this uncertain year (laughs) no I mean I don't know because I do think it's like very convenient to kind of look at all these things taken together and be like it was all you know no need to question the legitimacy it was all fine but that's like a very you know we talk often about this idea of the process versus the outcome and the process was introducing more randomness than than usual. And so, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, we can't really judge it based on the outcome being comforting or what we would expect. And you know what? I think sometimes we like to see, you know, give me like one stray random team. Like that's what the 2001 was was kind of fun to look back on where it's like, the Ravens were not a team that people really saw coming. Yes, they had a great defense, and yes, they they ended up boat racing the Giants in that Super Bowl. But uh, at the same time, they famously had a quarterback crisis at midseason, and Trent Dilfer, you know, was their was their starter ultimately. So you know, the t- teams and stories like that, I think, are in a lot of ways more interesting and more at the core of why we became sports fans to begin with. Maybe it was good for this year. It was good to like ground us in the best, the best teams, but then let's not do it again. Let's have some more chaos. Let's have let's some not teams. do. Yeah. Let's not do any aspect of 2020 ever again. Great Am point. I right? <laughs> well, it was, it was certainly good for uh, the city. I'm currently residing in Los Angeles. Yeah. But um, I think what you're saying, Neil, is that the Miami Dolphins are definitely winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. If I mean, this could age poorly. Uh, yeah. If, they like, may the not Chiefs have made the playoffs. Get up. I mean, the Dolphins, my, what were their? I mean, they must have been huge oh, yeah. long shots. Very, wow. very uh, long <laughs> odds going into the season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, also like the 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 NFL champion I think is the one that could kind of interject uh, a little bit of fun a little bit of weirdness into this so maybe we should be I mean I I hesitate to root against Mahomes under any circumstances but maybe this is like the last chance for chaos to disrupt our chalk yeah our our chalk <laughs> your chalk our blessed chalk. <laughs> 
Blessed be our chalk. Oh yeah. Well that that's a yeah, that's a fun look back on this year. What a what a weird year that was actually normal. Not so weird. <laughs> All right, that was great. We will be back in a moment for one last rabbit hole of the week. And finally, I have a rabbit hole for you all. So as has been established, we are speaking to you from last week. So we don't know yet how Friday's Viking Saints game turned out, though, let's be honest, we know in our hearts how it turned out. But we do know that it was a rare game played on Christmas Day. This was only the fourth Christmas Day game in Minnesota franchise history, which I I thought that was a pretty small number until I realized that this is the first one for the Saints. It was actually only the 20th regular season NFL game ever played on Christmas and only the 22nd overall. So really, there haven't been very many. There were two playoff games played on Christmas Day in 1971. Those were the first Christmas Day games ever for the NFL. And as it turned out, they were the last for a little while. The Vikings were actually part of that first Christmas Day slate of games, too. They played the Cowboys in the divisional round on December 25th, 1971, and they lost, and the Cowboys went on to beat the Dolphins in Super Bowl VI. But that game wasn't the problem that day. Minnesota-Dallas was the early game, and it was followed at 4 p.m. Eastern by a divisional round matchup between the Chiefs and Dolphins. According to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the game was the longest in game clock time in NFL history. Regular season games, you know, end after one overtime, but playoff games have to keep going. You can't have a tie. And this one got seven minutes and 40 seconds into the second overtime after playing 15 minutes in the first overtime. And it was sudden death? Yeah, it was sudden death. They couldn't score for <laughs> for 15 minutes plus seven Exactly. Minutes. It just kept going. Yeah. The game was actually not that long time-wise, at least by present-day standards. It was only three hours and 21 minutes, according to an account I found in the Los Angeles Times, which is actually also sort of wild to me that a game that was that went on that long actually only lasted a little over three hours. But It's a normal baseball right, game. Right, yeah, exactly. But by the time the Dolphins finally won the game around 6.30 p.m. Eastern, Christmas dinner had apparently been delayed for people all across the country and uh, people were mad at the NFL and complained about it. There was there was some essay in the in the Christian Science Monitor about how about how the NFL tried to ruin Christmas. Um, And so that was it. They didn't play a Christmas Day game again until 1989. They just they scheduled around it whenever that week came up. If if Christmas fell on a Saturday or Sunday, they, they just scheduled around it. Which is wild to me that it just took that one overtime game for everyone's perception of Christmas Day games to change. So in 1989, Christmas fell on a Monday. So I guess the league felt like Monday Night Football, like that night game, was far enough removed from everyone's Christmas dinners for it to be okay. Weirdly, that game also featured the Vikings. (laughs) Led by Wade Wilson, Minnesota beat Boomer Esiason and the Cincinnati Bengals to clinch a berth in the playoffs, where they were immediately trounced by the juggernaut 49ers team. (laughs) Every good thing in Vikings history is immediately followed by a terrible thing. That's just the rules. That's how it works. Oh. Uh, (laughs) That was for you, Jeff. (laughs) But it's also true. So uh, this, like, walk down Christmas Vikings memory lane reminded me of another game long ago. Not a Christmas Day game, but a Christmas Eve game between Minnesota and Green Bay. Now... My husband is from Milwaukee and is a big Packer fan, which is terrible all the time, but especially when the Packers are winning. Back in 2004, we weren't we weren't married or even dating yet. We were just friends, but he was already definitely trolling me. So I was sitting in church with my family on Christmas Eve and the game had just ended. He called me to ask me the score of the game, which obviously Green Bay had just won. So my phone went off in church and my mom was mad and the Packers ruined Christmas. <laughs> so that that Christmas Eve game was a very weird Friday afternoon game. It started at like 3 p.m. Eastern, which is why it had finished right when I was in church. Uh, the The 2020 game was also a weird Friday afternoon game, though it started a little later at, at 4.30 Eastern. 
It's interesting that both of those games were on Fridays because of how rare Friday games are in the NFL now. There were a ton in the 1940s and 60s, I found while... 1940s through 60s. I, I found that while playing around with the stat head day of the week filter on profootballreference.com. If you are a nerd and you like <laughs> looking at football nerdy stats, I highly recommend that day of the week filter. It is very fun. Uh, but since the AFL NFL merger in 1970, there have been only 11 games played on a Friday, including this year's. The Vikings played in three of those 11 games, the two Christmas ones and a 1993 New Year's Eve game against Washington. But so I got to thinking again about like, why are there so few Friday games? I had always thought it was like an informal arrangement with where the NFL didn't want to hurt high school football and the same thing with Saturday NFL games and college football. But I thought, you know, the NFL probably would play some Friday games anyway. What I did not realize was that this is actually the law. Did you guys know that? That this is in, like, not just NFL rules. It's, like, in governmental law. The Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961 governs the broadcasting restrictions in the NFL's antitrust exemptions. And a 1966 amendment to that specifically prohibits the NFL from broadcasting games on Friday nights and Saturdays. During the period beginning on the second Friday in September and ending on the second Saturday in December in any year from any telecasting station located within 75 miles of the game site of any intercollegiate or interscholastic football contest. So basically, you can't broadcast a game that's 75 miles away from any high school or college with a football game, which is, you know, every high school college in that time period I mean I guess I shouldn't be so surprised like did I really think the NFL was like just not expanding into more broadcasting days out of the goodness of its heart because it didn't want to interfere with high school football no so actually the law which is amazing so nine of the 11 Friday NFL games since the merger we're all after the sa- the second sa- Saturday in December, so that makes sense. Lots of lots of Christmas, New Year's that week games. One of the other two Friday games came about because of a natural disaster. An October 2005 game scheduled for a Sunday between the Dolphins and Chiefs was rescheduled to a Friday night to avoid Hurricane Wilma hitting Florida. But interestingly, no television stations farther than 75 miles away from Kansas City and Miami were allowed to broadcast that game. So even I saw a story out of Wichita, Kansas, that they they couldn't get the game there, even though they were, you know, pretty close to Kansas City. It was their home market. They were 75 miles away. The the one other Friday night game was on September 18th, 1970, on opening weekend of the first season for the merged NFL. It was between the Los Angeles Rams and St. Louis Cardinals, played in L.A. at 8 p.m. Pacific time, so pretty late. I don't know if it was broadcast or what the deal was exactly there, but I do know that there was also a Saturday game that weekend played at Yankee Stadium between the Giants and the Bears. So maybe maybe that was like a big kickoff thing for the new league, that there were games every night there. I'm very curious if anyone knows what the deal is, please let me know, because I'm desperate to know what happened that that opening weekend of 1970. Because also that weekend saw the debut of Monday Night Football. So there were games on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday for the first time. And that leads me full circle back to this wild season. So with the Christmas Day game, the 2020 NFL season has had a, a game played on every day of the week. Sunday, Monday, and Thursday were obviously handled, and we've had planned Saturday slates in weeks 15 and 16 now. Way back in week five, the Bills and Titans played on a Tuesday because of the Titans' COVID-19 outbreak. And in week 13, the Ravens and Cowboys played on a Tuesday because of the Ravens' outbreak. And then in week 12, the Ravens and Steelers played on Wednesday after their originally scheduled Thanksgiving game was postponed almost a full week, also because of the Ravens' outbreak. So according to the Elias Sports Bureau, this is the first season in NFL history to have games played on every day of the week. So I wondered, just by virtue of their outbreak-based scheduling this season, if the Ravens had played on the most nights of the week of any team since the merger, 
they've played, you know, Sunday, Monday, now Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday. The only one they're missing is Friday. They've never had one of those rare Friday games. But one of the Ravens' opponents in this weird year did get to complete their Days of the Week bingo card, which, wait, I guess that's just a calendar? (laughs) Uh, The Dallas Cowboys play the Ravens on that Tuesday, December 8th. They are also among the few to play on on Friday with a Christmas Eve game against the Saints in 1999. And finally, the Cowboys played a Wednesday night game in 2012 against the Giants. That game was the first game of that season, which would normally have been on a Thursday, but it was the week of the Democratic National Convention, and the NFL didn't want its season opener up against the renomination speech of President Barack Obama. And instead of moving it to Friday and get in trouble with high school football, they moved it to Wednesday. Tennessee could finish off its days of the week with a Wednesday game after picking up a Tuesday this year and a Friday game on Christmas back in 2009. The other team that's just one day away is, naturally, Minnesota. The Vikings also just need a Wednesday. They have their three Fridays, and they also played in a Tuesday in what was actually the first Tuesday NFL game since 1946. Minnesota was set to play the Eagles on December 26, 2010, when a blizzard hit Philadelphia. So the game was moved to Tuesday, December 28th. And would you believe it, the Vikings won, despite starting Joe Webb at quarterback. But even better for me. I watched that game with the Packer fan I had married, whom I was facing in our fantasy football final. I was up 32 points, and he had Michael Vick, who finished the game with 28 points, giving me the title. The moral of this Christmas story is don't be a jerk about games on Christmas and you won't lose your fantasy football final to your wife several years later. <laughs> Six year, but you did end up his wife, so... I mean, the joke's on me for sure. <laughs> it worked out to, for him, for sure. So. <laughs> when did um the NBA, like, stamp its flag into Christmas... Is that is that part of the thinking why the NFL like avoids Christmas at, because they don't want to counter program to the NBA or is it they don't care? I That's a great question. And I'm not totally sure. That's that's the working theory from a lot of people. But I've never I have I couldn't find anything from the NFL actually saying that one way or the other. Um, yeah, because the holidays, it, they have this thing where it's like, you know, the NFL is like we got Thanksgiving. NBA takes Christmas. College football takes New Year's Day. Um, obviously yeah, this, that this gets year feels... messed up when the NFL goes on New Year's Day and they're like, move aside. Um, yeah. this year feels like a clear violation of that where it's like, stay in your lane NFL. Like, <laughs> yes. what are you doing to the NBA? But it does look like the NBA really only started this, uh, Christmas thing, uh, in the eighties, basically in its current form. It looks like the Knicks, uh, played, you know, multiple Christmases in a row. And I don't know if that uh, translated to just everybody else being like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then they started doing it or or not. Yeah, this year especially, like why? I I mean, some years I, it is a little bit unavoidable when Christmas falls on a Saturday or Sunday. And for a long time, the NFL like really just worked to schedule around it. And I, and I understand like not working so hard to schedule around it. But this year it, it's like, they went out of their way to schedule. I mean, they, I guess, so this would have been the, the, it's the third, it was the Thursday night football um, finale played on Friday on Christmas day. And so I suppose, yeah, they, strange. which is dumb. Yeah. I suppose they didn't want to play that on, on Christmas Eve, that that was the worst, like the worst of the two options maybe. But, but they've had huge slates on Christmas Eve. I remember that in the past, you know. Yeah. They've um, had a lot more games played on Christmas Eve than Christmas day. Um, yeah, they've had full, full, full cards. Yeah, so I don't um, really know why they did it this year, and I couldn't find a good explanation. Normally, Christmas Eve is just like one really random bowl game that's usually in <laughs> the Hawaii. The Poinsettia Bowl or whatever. Oh, it's San Diego. Or, <laughs> I feel like Hawaii is usually involved. Are they playing this year again? No, they're probably not in a bowl game. But um, it it always is like a very deep cut, you know, like Nevada versus San Diego State. <laughs> Oh, that's a Mountain West game. You you get my point. 
<laughs> Indeed. <laughs> One of those two teams yeah. probably involved. I just I I loved I couldn't get over how long that how long that NFL went without playing on on Christmas. That that struck me as really interesting. And maybe they saw the NBA playing on Christmas and were like, "Wait, it's fine. We can do that." And then they started kind of easing back into it again. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like when the Masters ends on Easter. That's happened a few times. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think like Mickelson's big first win was on Easter Sunday. I remember that. Yeah, that one's a Otherwise, fun one. I, for personally, for holidays, I just like, I like going to baseball games on the 4th of July. Like that just feels like. Yeah, that's a classic. That's like America, I, I also, you know? <laughs> I, I have memories of some ugly like college, post-college uh St. Patrick's Day that was like the first Thursday of the tournament and things just got ugly. If you combine that many tournament games and drinking Drinking that early in the morning and (laughs) drinking during the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I also in another like kind of more um, a more heartwarming one than that. um, The College World Series is almost always happens on Father's Day. Father's Day falls during the College World Series in Omaha. And the last year I was in Omaha, my dad came over and we went to a game, which was very like, oh, this is nice. Um, so that was always a fun one. Also, it was an easy thing for us to cover at the newspaper, like pictures of fathers and their kids at the College World Series every year, every single year. It's usually uh, the U.S. Open's always golf U.S. Open's usually. Is it always? It's always Father's Day. I think. Now I don't understand how the golf calendar works because they changed yeah, it. No well, this no year, but they, they changed it all before then and now it's all this year was obviously all a mess. Um, all right. Well, so that was <laughs> that was a walk down Christmases of years past. We hope that you all enjoyed your Christmas and we'll be back in your feed next Tuesday in the new year. It'll be 2021, guys. 2020 will be behind us. Good riddance. (laughs) If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you are subscribed, please rate and review us. I will read them. I will cherish them. I might tweet them. It also helps new people discover the show. And you can email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Manlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next year.